I was like, I have to evict these people to get the best money for this deal because it was already a tight deal. So I'm like, hey, Mr. Seller, I need you to sign this paperwork saying I have rights to evict your family. File an eviction. They show up to court. Um, they agree to move out within a week. We get them out within the week and uh, they trash the property. It wasn't like super, super trash, but it was just a bunch of debris and clothes. And one, that, that, that one I had to evict, I was doing belly to belly because he lived like around the corner from me where I lived. And uh, his son came around with a shotgun. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right. Today, we are with Daniel Esteban Martinez. This guy is a rock star serial entrepreneur over here. He is the co-founder of a Hive Mind CRM, um, also with the Hive With Us podcast hosting company. You're acquiring land all over the country and all sorts of other things. Daniel, we'd love to kick it off with a story. We could get into all the other details later. Why don't you just tell us the craziest real estate transaction or experience you've had thus far? Oh, man. Um, I was trying to get my first deal um, and I was doing houses before I, my, my first deal was actually land, but before I got my first deal of land, I was doing houses and uh, I found a pre-foreclosure property that the they let family members move into that property. And I had, I had barely any real estate experience at all. I mean, it was my first like three, three to six months. Like it was early, early on before I knew anything about anything. And he's like, it's my family. I don't want to evict them. I need. I want to do the deal too. Let's let's see if I can make this happen. So, I contracted it. Um, I was like, I have to evict these people to get the best money for this deal because it was already a tight deal. So, I'm like, hey, Mr. Seller, I need you to sign this paperwork saying I have rights to evict your family because I know you don't want to do it. I understand that. He's like, all right. So he signed here, whatever. He was stressed out. File eviction. File an eviction. They show up to court. Um, they agreed to move out within a week. We get them out within the week and uh, they trashed the property. It wasn't like super, super trash, but it was just a bunch of debris and clothes and random random shit they left when they left. And um, me, I asked my buddy who was with me, helping me in my other business at the time. And I'm like, hey, you want to help me out? And we're going to trash up this property. So we ordered, we ordered a dumpster. I got some hand-on-hand labor. We, we loaded up all the, all the, all the um, closet stuff debris, trash, all that stuff, cleaned it all out, vacuumed it, trashed it all out. We filled it with a whole dumpster, me and him, in a couple hours. Um, we get it to the closing table, and uh, there is a uh, credit card lien on the property, and they won't close. So uh, we lost out on like 20 grand on a property that I, I've never done an eviction to that, to, even now. That was my only eviction I've ever done was somebody else's property that I evicted out of the property. And then uh, trashed out the property, did everything, and it foiled right on the table. Um, I have another crazy story too. That's uh, just real quick though. So, so you essentially like did all this work prior to closing. Yeah. And then he's like, "Tech with you." Well, I mean, there was a credit card lien that wouldn't release yeah. the close yeah. of thirty thousand, so it totally blew up the deal. So, the so basically, the equity of the deal was gone, and then it didn't make sense anymore. That's crazy. Because I negotiated sub two as well to take over the okay. market. But nice. he was like he was like twenty behind with the repairs required and the debt. It just wasn't a deal anymore. Gotcha. Crazy. All right, cool. Let's hear the next one. The next one was same time frame. I had I had a deal like I, it took me seven months to get my first deal. So this is all within my first one to six months of uh, doing real estate. Um, so this next one was I contract this property. I drove by it on my way to home for two years, literally right in the main artery. I turned right on it, go to my house, and I'm right there by my house. I learned about real estate and like look for vacant properties, vacant properties. There's a vacant property I've been passing by every day for the last two years. I'm like, this is crazy. So I, I pull into the driveway, tall grass, and it's a, it was a 110-year-old house. It was a, I think a five-bedroom. It was two floors. I think it was like six, uh, it was like five bedroom, like five baths, like 4,000 square feet. It was a freaking mansion just overgrown with trees and debris and stuff like this. So I look up, I look it up on the, on the county and he lives 30 minutes away. I called him, he didn't answer. I'm like, okay, he lives 30 minutes away. Let me just drive up on this dude's house. 
it was like Hickville. So I lived on, well, I lived in Atlanta at the time. So it was like the edge of country to city. I was right. On, I lived right on the edge. So when I drove down, it was country. So I literally drove down to his house. I pull up into his yard, and there's all these cars and people sitting on the driveway. I'm like, oh shit, how can I help you? Yeah, I'm looking for the owner of uh, such and such on this on the right in the corner. He's like, oh, he's inside, and I'm like, I'm about to get jumped. And like, it looked like a crack house. <laughs> oh boy. So I walk inside and there's this old, like sweet old man, like he was like 80, 85, like he was old, old. And I guess his grandsons lived in the house and they did whatever they want in the house, whatever. So they had people over, like it was just crazy, but they let the grandson. So like the grandsons were all the people out front, their grandsons, friends and all that stuff. It was a little crazy. But uh, inside is just the, 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 the grandma and grandpa. I'm like, hey, I'm looking to buy the property. And uh, we're looking to do this deal. And he's like, well, how much do you want for it? And he's like, I'll take 100 grand for it. I'm like, all right, 100 grand. I'm like, the house is worth like 350. And this is like, oh. this is worth, this is before COVID. This is like that house is probably worth like 500 right now because it was massive. 300, it was worth 350 at the time. And he's like, 100. I'm like, dude, I'm going to kill it on this deal. So I checked it for 100. And he's like, oh, you want me to go show you around? I think I can find, go find the keys. So I'll meet you there tomorrow. So it was right by my house. I'm like, yeah, I can meet you there tomorrow. So we literally, uh, I meet him there at the house and he shows me the house. He's like, oh, I used to live in this house. I I, I lived in it for uh, for 20 years and then I gave it to somebody else and they moved out and then it's been vacant for the last 15 years. I walk inside, or, we're, or actually we were trying to get in because he couldn't find the keys. We're trying to get in and he almost fell down the steps. I'm like, this is about to break his hip or something. He's about to die. It's going to be crazy. So I'm like, I'll get in. Don't worry about it. I'll take pictures. I told him I need to take pictures. So I told him, don't worry about it. I'll figure it out. Mind you, there was like a two, three, two, three car garage in the back, overgrown, full of random stuff. The, out, the front of the house, I can show you pictures of this. The front of the house was overgrown with trees and stuff like this. Um, I'm like, is it okay if I break a window? He's like, yeah, yeah, go ahead, break a window. Do whatever you need to get in. So broke a window. I broke in. I walk in, perfect condition in the inside. Wood floors, seven fireplaces. It looks it was a little outdated, but it was immaculate, immaculate inside. I'm like, dude, this is gonna be a killer deal. So I broke in the window. I, I had to do all that stuff. I contract the property. I get it to close. I was um, I was gonna wholesale it out, and I had a I had a buyer, and I'm like, I didn't know what to do. He's like, he's like, I'll give you 125 for it. I'm like, I know this thing's worth more, but I mean, 25k is 25k. Let's just it is what it is. I'll, I'll learn. I'll do better on the next one, you know. So I get it to close, and. Uh, I was set to close on a Monday. The seller passed away on a Friday. Oh. And uh, yeah, the seller passed away on a Friday. So I'm like, I don't want to be that, that asshole and like context too soon. Like, yeah, I still want that property. And I'm like, I, I sent him flowers and I'm just like, I'm sorry. I'm like, the title company's calling me. Like, what happened? And I'm like, he's not here no more. So yeah. I, I was like, I kind of like, I kind of let it go like at six months to a year. I'm like, I don't know when, like, when is too soon to contact people? Cause I'm like, I've, I, I didn't really, I haven't gone, I didn't go through a death, a death at that moment. You don't really, really know what's when the call, when's the best time to call. So I kind of just let it go. I was like, I'll, I'll wait for them to reach out to me and then I'll deal with it. I checked back a year and a half later. They, they still sold it for a hundred K and the market went up and this is during COVID. <laughs> the market went up and they still sold it for a hundred K. I actually went back to Atlanta and I had the opportunity to go that way. And I'm like, I don't even want to drive by the house. I don't even want to drive by it. Yeah, no kidding. Holy smokes. They just picked somebody else and sold it. Well, I mean, I'm, I don't even know if they tried to contact me. I put a memo yeah. on the property. So I'm like, I, when I follow the memo, I'm like, okay, well, they'll call me whenever it happens. Yeah. Nothing happened. But the title company recorded the property even though there was a memo on it. I, I filed a memo personally with the contract and everything after the dude died and like showing out. I was like, okay, whenever it sells, they'll have to contact me. It's at least what yeah. I thought. But I checked back like a year and a half later and they went around my memo. Whoever did, I don't know. Whoa! Like I'm assuming it doesn't sound like you've like went in and checked to see what your potential rights are. You just probably just said, "Hey, let's move on and save my energy for something else." I was, I was like, I was that deal made me depressed because I, I, yeah. I, I, I felt, I felt bad for the seller. I mean, because he passed away, and I felt bad for the whole situation. I'm just like, because I'm like, I, I really like befriended him because I went to his house multiple times after that. Like we, we talked a lot and he talked about his grandson, grandkids and all that stuff. So like I, I built a relationship with this guy and then like he just passed away overnight and I'm like, yeah, Dang. those are my two yeah. stories. 
So I want to dive into like the context of these situations. Like these were your first two deals that I get that right. These like, this is your introduction to real estate. Introduction to real estate. Was Lost okay. 20 grand, got a deal locked up with hundreds of thousands of dollars of profit. And then freaking like it all gets wiped out in front of your eyes. Like how in the world did you have the will to continue on after this point? And like, how does the journey develop? It, it was hard, man. Like when you get hit in the face, especially like that twice, it hurt. And like, those are before I closed my first deal. I ended up closing my, my, my first land deal was like 30 days after that. I actually had under, had it under contract. So I was like, it was still, it was still like, it still hurt a lot, but man, going through houses and my first six months as an investor was ridiculous. And that was a long time ago. And it's only been four years, but it was still like, it feels like I, I went through like the ringer on my first, and those weren't the first two properties I locked up too. Like I locked up like five or six properties and they all fell through for whatever reason. So I'm like, I still got hit in the face a couple more times. <laughs> Absolutely, man. It's part of the journey though, right? Like that's how you learn. You learn by making mistakes and improving on what you're doing. So like, let's kind of go back to the beginning though. You said you've been doing this for about four years. What were you doing before real estate and what attracted you to real estate? Um, so I actually, I'm, I'm, I'm blue collar, man. I used to load trucks with a forklift, ended up, uh, I was really from, from Chicago. So I used to work, like work outside cause the doors are open. So you're getting wind, snow, all through that stuff. Um, my wife's like, why don't we just Atlanta? I'm like, let's go. So I moved to Atlanta. I was still loading trucks and I had the opportunity to drive in Chicago. And when, I, when they asked me in Atlanta, they're like, you want to drive? And I'm like, you know what? There's no snow in Atlanta. I'll drive here. I never, I never wanted to drive like 80,000 pounds in the snow and ice. That was just a no, no for me. I'm like, I'm not dying for anything. <laughs> Love it. So, <laughs> self-preservation uh, kicks in. Yeah. Self-preservation kicks in. So when I, when I went to Atlanta, they're like, Oh, you want to drive a truck? I'm like, as long as I'm driving the snow, I'm good. So I did that. Uh, I drove for, I drove for that company for two years and then I started my own trucking company. So I actually, my first endeavor in entrepreneurship was a trucking company where I had up to five trucks at one point. And then I pivoted into real estate because it wasn't really making that much money. I was making money, but no profit. And to dive in a little bit more specifically, like was it that you were listening to podcasts while you were on the truck? How, yeah. how did the idea of real estate creep in? I mean, you have a lot of time, especially when you're trucking, a lot of time. So one of the one of the like big reasons why I do podcasting and a lot of podcasting as a whole is just because I'm a product of it. I feel like I have to give back now that I've kind of went through the ringer and now I have something to offer back. So that's one of the big reasons why I do a lot of podcasting as a whole, just to get back to the community because I'm a, I'm a product of it. Love it. And to tap back into to the question, so essentially you have a blue collar upbringing, right? So there's that Midwest work ethic. Is it, Was it that work ethic that allowed you to keep going at the beginning or were there other sort of like things you learned from your parents? What really What really guided it? Oh, my, my, my dad, he told me to, uh, to work with your head versus your back because your back can only take so much damage, take so much yeah. work, you, you get burnout. So my dad actually was a construction worker for 30 years. So he kind of like instilled that across all of us. Cause like for him, he was an immigrant and didn't have any other choices, but work with his back. So he always told us to we'll use our head versus our back because you can always amplify and multiply. That's right. And it's way easier to work into your 90s, hundreds, if need be, with your mind. So take us now forward. You've kind of taken us back into what led you into real estate. But what happens after these first couple deals? Like what propels you from there to where you're at now? It was, I mean, it was a lot of motivation, man. So like when I actually went into entrepreneurship, like when I, I literally like, I'm going to do this right now. Because like everybody was like, when's the best time to be an entrepreneur? Like. It's right now. Like it's not next year. It's not two years from now. It's right now. And one of my biggest drivers was my wife got pregnant. I got my wife pregnant, and I was like, if if I go down this path, I stay at the job. I mean, I'm gonna be I'll be fine, but I'll never be able to create the future I want because there'll never be a better time. So it was one of those things where like I had to work my. I literally worked like six days a week for like nine ten months. I took a two week by two week vacation, three week paternity leave, and then I quit. So I literally like. That was my endeavor into entrepreneurship, and I kind of jumped into the trucking at that point. And then um, that was like my big reason why. So I, I had like, when everything's all on you, it's it's all on you. So like a lot, of, I, I always tell people like doing it that way is is hard because like I, I like the night people that do side hustles and nine to fives like 
do that. That's a safer route. If you once you jump out, once you jump off the bridge, like you're falling. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So, like, so did you jump all the way into it then, or you said you were yeah. doing like the side jobs first? Because I'm of your mentality. Like, I would rather just burn the bridges and say, "Fuck it, I'm going all in. I'm going to make this work." Um, have you always been that way? Is that a skill set you developed over time, or it was, I was put up against the wall and I'm like, "Let's just jump." I was put up against yeah. the wall. So it was like one of those things where like I, I, when I was in trucking, that's all I did was trucking. I've been an entrepreneur for, it'll be five years in December that I've been a full-time entrepreneur. I haven't had a job for anybody else. Um, I always tell people I'm unemployed because it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Desperation is a huge motivator, right? Well, um, for sure. Well, people that have jobs are like, oh, he's just unemployed. Like entrepreneurs are just unemployed. Yeah. I'm, I'm just unemployed. Unemployed and also unemployable often. Yeah, right. um, <laughs> um, cool, man. So, so you started off with these single family homes and then you pivoted to land and now your focus is more so on land, right? I had, um, can we talk about how that journey looked and why you progressed that way? It was, I have never done a house deal to actually, I, I, <laughs> that's awesome. I've only done one house deal. All the rest has been land since, since, since all that happened, the only house deal I've done was I actually owned a home in Atlanta and I did a lease purchase since I, I had a mortgage on my own property. So I'm like, let me just lease purchase it out. So I actually still own the house that the lease purchase buyer is supposed to buy it by the end of the year. So that should be coming to fruition right now. But that was my only house deal I've ever done. All the rest has been land a hundred percent from then on. Cause it was just one of those things where, like, Land, I got slapped in the face three times, four times, right off the bat. And then the, the first land deal I did closed. The first one. And I'm like, okay, this is this is easier. So my, my first land deal was, um, I was still living in Atlanta at the time. And I had a PPC marketing. I had a website up with uh, ads running to it. And a lady hit me up. She lives in northern Atlanta. She's like, uh, I have a property in Florida that I'm getting, I'm getting fined for because people are dumping on the property because it's just a vacant lot. I'm like, all right. So uh, I ha I looked it up. I had a get. I guess it was probably worth about twenty k or so. So I'm like, if I can get this for five, sell it twelve to fifteen, we're good. So I told her, uh, I was like, well, how much can you give me? I'm like forty two hundred dollars and thirty three cents. Just made up a number under five grand. She's like, can you do five grand? I'm like, yes. And I did this mm -hmm. all through email because I was afraid to talk to sellers. So I, I did it all through email, and uh, I got the contract through email. And then um, I found a buyer in two days on Facebook Marketplace for 12 and that's that's brilliant that was my hold on you just said something so important yeah dude, I'm so, like so your those. first deal yeah, you yeah. did it without talking to somebody yeah. at all <laughs> you did it over email this is amazing I did. and you were afraid to talk to sellers you just said so i would love to talk about number one how did you close this deal over email which is awesome because i've closed deals over facebook messenger and people think like that's not even possible i'm like i do it all the time bro um but like how did you do the email strategy? And number two, like, how did you overcome your fear of talking to sellers? Because obviously you're doing it. But it's interesting because he didn't have fear of sellers when he was doing single family houses, right? So oh, yeah, that that's a good fear, point. Was that fear developed based on the two, two slaps yeah, you had? Maybe you had some PTSD. Yeah. <laughs> well, that one I had to evict, I was doing belly to belly because he lived like around the corner from me where I lived. And uh, his son came around with a shotgun. Oh on me and he shot out the street and the neighbor called the police so one day when i was talking to the seller the police came and rolled up like hey did somebody shoot a gun around here i'm like i didn't see shit <laughs> whoa and then all of a sudden he was cool with you because you had his back yeah well yeah he did, he was cute because he wasn't like rat out his own son but i think it was someone was high or something and he literally popped around the corner pointed a gun at me and shot a gun in the air And that, that implanted some very rational fear inside of you from going belly to belly. I'm, I honestly, I forgot about that. Like when you asked me about it, it triggered in my head. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's nuts, man. That's a cool story right there. So, oh. so you essentially, all right, so let's carry on. Cause Tim had some good questions here. So, so basically you're now doing email. So talk to us about the email. How did you close this deal over email? It was just, I never, I never wanted to talk to her on the phone. Like the lead came into email. So I'm like, I have her an email and phone number. Let me just email her and see if she responds. So she responded through email and I'm like, Hey, would you do this? Negotiate the price point. And then uh, she converted with me. And then I CC'd the title company into the deal. I'm like, Hey, the title company is going to handle it from here. And I found a title company online. 
I put on Facebook, I'm like, hey, who, who has a title company in Florida? And I got like three of them. I picked one and hey, here's a contact email. I did an email thread. <laughs> I never talked to the title company either. <laughs> like, I was like, it, it was one of those things where like, I was like, whatever, whatever gets the job done. I knew the steps that I needed to take because it wasn't like, it wasn't my first rodeo, but it was just like, okay, we're going to figure this out. And I just did it all through email. It took like 15 emails to get the deal done. And then I, this I, I is nuts. Out. Like no conversations with anybody. Don't see the land. No nothing. I, I still haven't seen the land to this day. The buyers went over there and took pictures for me because I just I took a Google Street View of the property. I <laughs> I took a Google Street View of the property. He's like, "Is this it?" I'm like, "I guess." And he sent me pictures. You have pictures? I'm like, no, I don't. And I'm like, all right, let me update my listing. Thanks, bro. Like, dude, I love this. Like, we're big into personality, and I'm always thinking of like, how can I take an introvert? and help them because a lot of times real estate sales investing sales it's it's a contact sport it's it's an extroverted sport generally speaking mm -hmm. but this is like an introvert's dream like hey you're flipping land on in a couple of days on facebook marketplace or over email with zero contact with humans in phone or in person like this is like perfect for an introvert so dude kudos for, for bringing this up the, the funny thing you said earlier is like oh you you talk to sellers now i'm like i don't even talk to sellers now that's what i have anthony for anthony talks to all the sellers i don't talk to sellers at all oh i love this so how did you meet anthony then so i mean obviously you have complementary skill sets i'm assuming you're doing the marketing you're bringing the leads in and then he's converting them now or something like that like how yeah. did you guys meet and how did that relationship develop so it, it, this, that one's a kind of story too so i actually just found out recently that I learned from a person, we both took the same course from Jalen White. And Jalen White is uh, is down the tree of, um, what is his name? I can't remember his name right now. I just, I literally talked about him two days ago. So there's, out of Phoenix, white guy older from out of Phoenix. I forget his name. Top of mind. You're talking about like a wholesaler? Yeah, big, big wholesaler. I've been around for like 30 years. I was talking about like Sean Terry. Sean Terry or... There you go, Sean Terry. I can't, I can't think of his name. So Sean Terry taught Jalen White, and then Jalen White did the course. I took me and Anthony took Jalen White's course within like a week of each other. He had a private Facebook group, which is still up. And I don't know if you guys know Jalen White at all. No. I've heard the name, but I don't know him personally. He 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 literally did real estate for from seventeen to twenty one, twenty two, and then he quit. And now he does like online marketing. So he like fell off the face of the earth. Because he wanted that that desk life, the the work work from the desktop, from anywhere type of life. So he's totally quit real estate. Um, but I, me and Anthony met. We bought his course right within a week of each other. Joined his private group, and then uh, me and Anthony were the only ones like we're we just kind of correlated with um, real estate stuff. And then I, after I started doing land, me and him started doing land from there, and that's how we fell in. So I've known him for about four years, and then we started working together on businesses for about three. That's freaking awesome. And that's actually really cool because Tim and I story is very similar. We met in a mastermind. I ended up coaching him as an agent. He ended up bringing me deals that brought me like 11,000 in, in rental income. And then now we partner on the podcast. So like that's freaking epic. So you partner with this guy and probably one of your, it sounds like excitements is like, Hey, this guy will do all the talking. So now I could just be behind the scenes running the show. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that you wanted the podcast because you wanted to give back, but kind of like describe like who is Daniel? Like he's a podcaster, so he loves talking to people, but then he doesn't love talking to sellers. Like what makes Daniel Daniel? Um, it's not. It's um. There's a there's a. It's uh focusing on your skill set. Like I can talk mm -hmm. to sellers. I mean, I, even right now I can talk to sellers. It's just like, but if I have a partner who's amazing at talking to sellers, why am I going to talk to sellers? Why am I going to step on his toes just because I can? So it's one of those things where like all that I do is on the back end. So I'm just going to do what I do on the back end and let him do what he does in the, on the front end because that's what he does. Like he's, his master skill set is sales. So if he's good at sales, why am I ever going to hop on the phone? Even though I can. 100%. Yeah. Dividing and conquering. Yeah. That's it. Beautiful. So you're doing land deals. That starts kicking off. I'm sure that first success leads you to get excited to, to obviously take you down this path of success. Kind of take us a little bit deeper into the journey. And then where does the software and automation piece come in? It was it was out of necessity because now I was working with Anthony and uh, Anthony's like, he's now counting on me to do all this stuff. <laughs> and uh, 
the podio is difficult, even for me. I'm that type of person, but it was difficult even for me. So when I saw the opportunity to start Hivemind, I'm like, let's just do this. And if anything, we can provide this as a service and I'll still run the back end of what we're doing. So that's what we did. I kind of started it. And now I run all our businesses are ran through Hivemind, everything. Because every 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 business has the backbone of a CRM. It's leads, contacts, conversions. Um, what's the last one? Reviews. It's the same lifecycle. You get, use those reviews to get more contacts, to get more to get more conversations and then move it all down the line. So all those have the same process. It doesn't matter what you're doing. So now it's just like I run everything through it and I manage all the back end with my, with my team. He has his front end sales team and then that's how we work. Brilliant. I love the partnership because, you know, you're basically, you have two separate skill sets that are super complementary. Um, so, I mean, it's just a, a fabulous foundation for a business. Um, now that we're talking about the high mind CRM, we might as well jump deeper into this. Um, obviously, you're big on automation, um, but like give us like a broad strokes overview of what the high mind CRM offers, um, just so that the audience can have an idea if they're not familiar with you. So, um, particularly, what, what does it offer that, like, what does it solve that, say, Podio wouldn't yeah, solve? Yeah, I was, I was, I was that. So, like, po Podio, right. like, everything, Podio is just, like, the CRM, but it can have all the things that into, uh, connect to it, per se, like a node, right? HiveMind has everything internal. So, we're, most products out there only do one thing, just like Podio. Podio does one thing, but stuff integrate to it. HiveMind does a lot of different things. So, it does texting, emailing, websites, forms. Uh, invoicing, uh, text, to, text to pay, there's trackable links, there's a course platform, you can host websites. So it does a lot more things that, that communicate. So like, one thing I always talk about, like, what, what separates it is because like, if you have a text company, like Smarter Contact or um, Lead Sharp or stuff like that, all it does is text. So you might run that thing through text, and that's all it does. Whereas Hivemind, you can kind of build a specific campaign that does multiple things. So like, whenever I do, whenever I do like a demo, I'm like, hey, imagine if um, people like being contacted the way like being contacted. So there's a thing Max Maxwell he created called the lead conveyor belt, and the whole the whole basis of the lead conveyor belt is to touch the leads in its cheapest form as possible and move it down multiple points of contact to convert that lead. So what does that look like? Email. Email is pretty much free. Most time when you skip trace, you get an email, but no, everybody just throws it away or doesn't even touch it. You can build out a campaign to reach out through email. What's next? Texting. Text is the next cheapest form of contact. You can build and convert leads through text. I have clients that just do texting, have mind texting, and they get contracts. Uh, the next cheapest form is RVM, cold call. I mean, RV, text, and, text and RVMs can be automated 100%. Cold calling is now either physical time or VA time or some, some somebody physically has to be there to make that cold call. And then after that might be like uh, direct mail where you actually send a postcard because postcards like 56 cents a postcard or a letter. So... What you can do is now you can touch in multiple different ways and do multiple different types of techniques of strategy, but you can connect them together. So what, what I always say is like, you first you say you send an email, they don't respond because who reads emails, but you might get a deal, who knows? Then you send a text, hey, is this John? The next day, hey, I sent you a message yesterday. Uh, when's a good time to talk? And then you might say RVM, hey, this is Daniel, I'm calling about uh, properties in this area. I might have sent you a text yesterday. I don't know if you got it. If you give me a call back, I'd appreciate it. So now you can actually build a campaign about stuff that happened prior that doesn't seem like it's a robot, but you can still automate it in a way. And then if they don't respond to text, text RVM, then you can put in a cold call where you actually call that person physically to use actually man hour. So like there's a good chance like 80% of your messages are read within the first two minutes of an SMS. So you're going to get a lot of context just on that first part. And then RVMs just it kind of filters that that list a little bit down before we actually physically put time into that list. Oh, this is amazing stuff. So you're doing, I'm assuming you're doing a lot of cold email, cold texting, and, and things like that through this this software, correct? No. <laughs> no. This is what you can do. Me and Anthony, we like inbound. So we okay. like we like inbound leads because we if we're gonna talk, if we're gonna dedicate time to talk to sellers, we'd rather talk to sellers that want to talk to us. That's just the basis. So we do a lot of PPC and a lot of texting because texting, they respond back. So I can text two, 3,000 people. And then the people that respond back that actually want to have a conversation, those are the people we talk to. So it's a form of inbound. So we always like inbound leads. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's that's kind of what I meant. I'm sorry if I phrased it wrong, but I mean the people using your software, they're doing a lot of outbound. Oh yeah. Through the software, and then you're only working the inbound leads, right? So you're doing probably a massive amount of cold emails and the text messages and things like that through your software, and then you only talk to the ones that are warm, like, hey, I'm interested in selling, essentially. That's it. And it's just, if you can automate that that points of contact to filter through that list, that's the whole thing. And then the other thing is follow-up. Everybody struggles with follow-up. This system, literally, you can follow up with everybody. If they've raised their hand at any point saying they were interested in selling, you follow up every 30, 45 days, whatever you want. And it's always going to follow up for you where people might set a reminder in Podio to, oh, I need to follow up with this person and never do it. This will do it for you automatically. Absolutely. And that's kind of like the big downfall of like Podio and say you're using Podio and you got launch control. It's like you can't really integrate them together at all. So it's like you have to put notes in two spots and it becomes super confusing. Um, so it makes a lot of sense to, you know, consolidate everything to one place. Um, where did you get the idea and, and, so, and uh, why did you run with it? It was I saw opportunity in the marketplace because I was struggling myself and what if you're in business, if you see opportunity in the marketplace, just dig in, just dig in. Like, it doesn't even matter what you are. And like, for me, it was one of those things where like, it was, this is my strong suit. And I know I can do this full time that even if I, I can still do real estate too, but this is, and me and Anthony saw his opportunity because um, not that we ever wanted to get an education space, but we knew it could possibly come down into down the line. Most people that come through the education space, they come in with everybody else. <laughs> And the CRM is just a different angle. You come in through the side, you essentially flank it. So the CRM is a way to cut through the noise with your own product, and then you can coach. Totally. And the, the CRM, I mean, that's an interesting game and, and a very fast-paced, challenging game. And so you see people when they're building out softwares go multiple different directions. Some hire U.S. programmers and some, you know, and partner with them. Some just pay the salaries, which are pretty expensive in the U.S. Some go overseas. Talk about like you have this idea, you're ready to take action. How do you form the business plan to create the software? Cause I mean, a lot of these are multi-year, very expensive projects. So I kind of hacked it. And for the people that know, they know there's um, essentially the platform I'm on is just like Podio. It's already a pre-built platform that you just kind of, you kind of think of, think of the, think of the base model of a car. You can add 20 inch wheels or 10 inch wheels. You can add a lift kit or not a lift kit. You can add in, uh, the nice paint job or flat flat mat paint, black paint. So it kind of gives you the ability to customize it the way you want, and that's what differentiates everybody else that has on the same platform. Is, is you kind of you kind of build it out the way you want through pricing, through support, through your education you provide with it, mm -hmm. through everything else that you do you do with it. So like with me, I have I have a data company. I'm launching a media company. We're providing all these other resources with it that combine that we're not just providing a CRM, and that's what separates us from everybody else. Yeah. And so you essentially save yourself years of costs process and you can get right to the good stuff. Yep. And all my team does is support instead of development. Yeah. So nice. So, so nice. Yeah. I, I went down the development road many, many, like, well, not many years ago, but we'll say six, seven years ago. And uh, if I would have known the options that were available now, like it wouldn't have been wouldn't have been a thing. It's one of those, it's one of those yeah. things where like you don't know what you don't know, and like these opportunities, they're happening more and more because the 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 business the business age has has changed. I was talking to my brother about this yesterday. Where I went to Wingstop, and the service was eh, and I'm like, ever since COVID, a lot of these service industries they got affected because of COVID, where they it's harder for them to find employees. It's not that there's not employees out there. It's just that employee employees have more opportunity in other directions. A whole new technology space of the workforce opened up 20 years ago, and it's just getting bigger and bigger. So now people don't have to work, don't have to do plumbing, they don't have to do roofing anymore. They now can go to the technology side and work from home. Which is so nice, right? Because you can then use tech to replace even the need for humans in certain industries so people can do the jobs that they love and want to do and so on and so forth. Yep. Take us back to land. How, like, you've been in land for a little bit. Like, how is land today? Is it just as easy as it was when you started? Is the space getting more infiltrated? What's the opportunity in land? Um, the, the opportunity with land is infinite. Um, it is getting more, more 
saturated, but not even as close to what houses is right now. Like not even as close. If you think about it, like 86% of the U.S. is, is land. It's big and small land. That's what it is. So you think of the dense populations, that's just big land cut up into small pieces. So <laughs> it's, as, as the population grows, they just cut that, that, that smaller land into smaller land and build houses on those. So like it's, there's infinite, infinite opportunity. Oh, I love the way you phrase that, infinite opportunity. So just glossing over what you just said, anybody that's having success, say wholesaling houses, like you think it would probably be an extremely wise decision for them to start looking at land. I mean, the crazy thing about this, I've heard many household sellers say this. Their, their biggest checks they've made have been off land. And they don't even do land. They just had land come across them and like, oh, it's the same process. And they're like, oh, I averaged ten, twenty thousand dollars a deal, but that one land deal I did, I made fifty grand. They're like, why don't I do more of that? And then I'm like, I don't know. It's so interesting just because I think you're like the fourth or fifth land guy that we've had on here. And when I'm talking with you guys, it's like, this sounds so easy. Um, <laughs> it's like, it sounds so easy. It's like you find something, you're not even in the same state. You just said you used Google Street View. You didn't even get pictures of it. Just threw it up on Marketplace and boom, deal done. And it's like, wow, that's like a lot less complicated than having to negotiate with a seller three or four times in a house and trying to reduce prices because of repairs needed and things of that nature. It's just like, wow, this is just seems like such a more simplified process. So I'll tell, I'll tell you this, and it 100% is. For everybody that does houses, the reason why we like land is because it doesn't cash flow. You're like, what? what doesn't cash flow? There's no emotional value to it. Somebody that has it. It negative cash flows because they pay taxes. There's no emotional attachment. They've probably never seen it before. So what's a wholesale price? What's owner financing terms? It, it doesn't matter to them because they've probably never seen it. So fair. With, I guess, the exception, there was we had one, one guest on who said that like certain people in the Midwest like have this crazy status connection with land. But I'm guessing, I mean, any anywhere close to the coastal states, probably not the case at all. I mean, is your, what, what states are you doing in? Uh, right now, we're mainly Texas, but we're venturing into other markets as it comes. Because right now, people are just bringing us big land deals everywhere. And I'm like, okay, we'll take a look at them, but we're mainly in Texas. But we'll take a look at anything you got type of thing. That's so cool. So so big push on land. And for somebody that's, say, introverted, new to the space, like do you, like what would be the best way you think, the easiest way for them to get their first deal? Um. Literally, there's so many ways. I mean, PPC, I mean, we're at the point where we're going after listed properties. Like, their listed properties are want to sell. It's just negotiating terms. At, at this point in the market where we're heading with high interest rate, we can make, it's me, I'm sorry. Um, with, with high interest rates, we get, we're getting better at making transactions. Like, the interest rate hasn't affected us per se and our buyers, but it has affected sellers. And that's all we need. So, it's just creating more opportunity in the land space and you can go after listed properties. There's plenty of people that buy ARV because like even us, we, we can pay full price for a property. Like we can't, doesn't even matter. Um, we're just looking at the opportunity of what we can do in the back end. Cause essentially what we're, what we're doing with the, with the large land parcels is we're subdividing and putting into smaller tracks. So we're forcing appreciation. Absolutely love that. So, Let's talk about this then, because my experience with land has been different. And granted, I'm, I've been a house guy, so we've done, done a lot of house business. But like, so we got a 500-acre parcel that I'm listing right now, and this has been a multi-year process. We're getting ready to help a family sell an 18-acre parcel, a ranch that's in development. What, what am I missing? Because the deals in my area seem to take a year to three years. How, how are yours going so fast, especially if you have to split into parcels? That's the whole key. The whole key is the split in the parcels. If you sell a 500 acre parcel, no one can afford that. I mean, your, your buyer's list, I mean, same thing with houses. They always talk about the median house income. Don't get anything over 250K. I'm sure it's probably 300 now because essentially your buyer pool at two, uh, two, 300 and under is everybody that gets, getting FHA, first time home buyers, all that stuff. It's the same thing with land. If you have 500 acre parcels, there's only so many buyers that can buy 500 acre parcels. But when you cut it down to 100, you open it up more. If you download the 50, you open up a lot more. If you cut it on the 20, anybody can buy 20 acres that is looking to buy land. So it's kind of like when you cut it down into smaller chunks and smaller bites, more people can afford it. 
And the other thing that we're doing is owner financing. So we're offering owner financing where it's really hard to get bank financing, especially for land, you have to put 30% down. So the other way we're doing is offering owner financing with the property at our price point. So whereas we're working on the property right now, um, it was, I think it's 120 acres. It was list. It's owned by two real estate agents who went and found a land specialist listed for a year, couldn't move the property at 25,000 an acre. We cut it down into 10 acre lots and we're selling it for 35 an acre. Oh, so yeah. So let's dive into this a little bit. So first of all, first question I have is when you, you're buying them on seller financing, turning around and selling them on seller financing. Is that accurate? Yeah, if we can. And, yeah. and just making the spread. So when you talk about splitting it into these smaller lots, like in some areas, that's a very time intensive process, sometimes cost intensive. Can you kind of give an example in a lot of the areas you're at? Because I mean, no, you're not in California like I am, but so can you give an idea of how long and how much money does it take to, to split these lots up? Um, the trick is, is Texas. That's the trick. Texas yeah. has a law where if you do 10 acres, if you do 10 acres or more subdivides, you just need an engineer to drop the plans. Whereas in other states, you might have to put in utilities, you might have to put in a road, you might have to put in uh, electric to all the lots. So like a lot of people are like, oh, why don't you do development? Because it's long. It's a it's a 12 month process if you're doing five acres or less. Like for us, we're literally flipping paper, just like wholesalers, but we're doing it with, with larger properties and larger lots and 10 acres or more. So we're essentially selling ranchettes to people that want, that can afford it on paints. Wow. So this is so cool. So essentially there's little to no money to buy the properties all because you're buying it on seller finance, little to no money to do this little, you know, lot splitting a little, you know, an engineer drawing up some plans and whatever. I'm, I'm sure some filing fee. We have a, we have an engineer on our team that does it for equity. <laughs> so brilliant. So, so no cost upfront then for the engineer, you're seller financing these to somebody at 10,000 an acre more. And it's a hundred, like, so you're talking about 120 acres. So let's get this right. 10,000 acre. I mean, am I doing this right? That's 1.2 million. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a $1.2 million spread. You get to give the engineer some of the equity play, but there's not a whole lot of cost, not a whole lot of work. And you're making a quick 1.2 mil. Mm -hmm. We have, we have five properties under contract that we're, we're looking to make a hundred grand plus. Our first deal we did it like this, we made 200K in cash and 200K in notes. Our first deal. Jeez. So, yeah. and like, we're talking about creating cash flow too. Like, um, I always, I always, me and, my, me and Anthony make jokes about cash flow because like most people that own rentals, if they got, if they didn't, if they use debt to finance them, use their cash flowing maybe 700 per door or less, 500 per door that they're actually cash flowing. So you got 10 units, you're making, three grand a month, right? With this, that one property, we might get paid 10 to 15 grand per month on. If we sell or finance a hundred percent of it. For, this, 30, this for, awesome. th for 30 years. So, so 10 grand a month for 30 years. Yeah. One deal. One deal. Oh, this is, this is exactly what we were looking for. So our main message to people is, hey, do one deal that financially retires you out. So like on last week, we interviewed a guy who's going to make two mil. He's going to transfer that two mil into a property that nets him 10 plus thousand a month. Here's a perfect example with land. One deal, 10 plus thousand a month. And you have, I mean, like true numbers, how much out of pocket to make that deal happen? Not very much. I mean, we're, the only money we're using is the lock up the property. We're using buyer funds to pay, like we use, we either private, we either use buyer funds or uh, private, private capital to pay whatever we need to pay they want down. So we're all like the first deal we did, it was a million 70 purchase price. They wanted 200K down. So we got a private lender in to bring in 200K and then essentially sell our finance the rest. And we made 200K and 200K notes. Oh, that's beautiful. Like I could tell by your face, like it's pretty much nothing. Cause you're just like, yeah. <laughs> well, like, <laughs> like we, we didn't pay nothing, man. Like, um, the crazy oh. thing about this is like, this is all Anthony does that side of it. So like, like we have like $4 million properties under contract right now. Like we're trying, we always, wow. we, we make a joke. Like we're trying to do 
10 deals next year, at least $1 million. I love that. I love that. What's hilarious is like, I've been thinking I've been doing things the wrong way for my whole career because I was doing mostly flips before. It's like, man, I should have been holding stuff so we could cash flow it. And now it's just like, oh, this land thing sounds even better. It's like, okay, so I could do all this. I could cash flow 10 grand a month, nothing out of pocket at all. And not only that, but it sounds like it's super easy to market for. There's less competition, number one. And number two, you, you could do it passively text blasts, email blasts, things of that nature. It's just like, oh. Yeah, it's it, it, it's, 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 it's fun. It's definitely a fun game. Um, like I said, we're, we're just getting into the, the tip of it. I don't know how much we'll do next year. I know we have like $5 million under contract right now um, between a bunch of deals. Like I said, Anthony handles the front side of that. But I know we have a lot under contract right now. And like I said, we're trying to sell it. We're trying to sell our finance, all of it. Because once you have the debt, you can then take that to a bank and get 50% of that, like a or refinance you can do the same thing with notes and take all that cash out tax-free all right hang on here hang on here just so we can really like lay this out so let's let's do a scenario here. so you buy a million dollar property is that a fair purchase price yeah that's all we're looking for million dollar property what are generally the terms no money down i mean we're it's it's different for every seller so like i mean some some like one deal right now we're working right now the, the purchase price is two. Uh, there's actually a, a bank note on it for 1.4. And uh, okay, so that's a subject to? Yeah, it's a subject to same thing. They're paying four grand a month for it. We're looking to pay the seller. We're looking to buy it at two million. So the seller's going to make six. And then we're looking at our potential spread on it is three. When you say spread, 300,000, three million? Uh, two to three. Two to three is one million. It's at one yeah. million. It's the, it's, the same, it's the same deal, the 10,000 yeah. acres. So we're under contract. We're under contract to purchase that okay. too. There's a note on it for 1.4, okay. and then we're trying to the potential profits like 3.2 or something like that. So the the that's, that's like wild. a million dollars. And so just to, just to dive even deeper into this deal, so the equity is so the 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 value is 3.2. Your purchase price is two million. That's where the 1.2 million dollar equity spread comes in. But as far mm -hmm. as your seller financing the payments. On those seller financing is like what fourteen thousand a month. Is that fair? So the the original note is forty two hundred, okay. and then there's two owners in the property. One wants cash, the other one will take okay. payments. So we'll, it's, it's a partial seller finance on the six hundred. Love it. Okay, and then so when you go to get a loan, the, the bank's gonna say, "Hey, this property's worth three point two. We're gonna cash you." Well, I mean, we have to we have to sub we have to sub that yeah. first. So like. Um, we're doing this all, all this under contract. So like the whole house strategy where you put under contract for 30 days, you find a buyer to double close to bring the funding yeah. to close. Think of bigger deals, but stretched yeah. out because we're locking these properties for 90 yeah. days. We do a 90 day contract with a 60 day close. So we have it under contract for five months minimum. So if I, how, how long does it take you to bring the money to the closing? Well, we do all this while we're, while we're under Perfect. contract. Yep. So, so while you're under contract to buy it, you line up everything you close and then, so you're not even coming out of pocket because you already yeah. have, you've already have it sold before you close. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, we're using their funds yeah. to close. Yeah. Kind of the A to B, B to C, then C funds, the A to B transaction. Okay. Yep. Cool. Gosh, man, this is cool. So this is just the land version of the double close. It's just stretched out. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously you've you found it man like and it's so cool to see the journey all the way from like getting losing 20 grand on that first deal losing everything on the second deal to you know a quick little negotiated deal over email to where you got million dollar spreads now and you're having other people buy the properties for you like this is a insane transformation so like obviously we know you've gotten into podcasting as well so tell us a little bit of that and then what what's next for you i don't know man <laughs> Um, I, I, uh, me and Anthony joke around because as we're doing a lot of these finance stuff on the back end, I'm like, we're, we're pretty much heading down the roads of being a bank, which is the path that's kind of opening up to us and where we're probably heading. So we're probably heading down the bank route. Um, who knows? I don't even know, man. And like I said, all this happens, like 
I, we always make a joke. I used to make a joke with the truck drivers. Like, I got 20 years experience. I want this much money to get paid. I'm like, you don't have 20 years experience. You did the same year over and over again for 20 years. That's not the same thing. <laughs> I love it. And like the truck drivers used to hate it when I told them that. I'm like, it is what it is. Like, what'd you do different from this year from last year? Well, uh, nothing. And I was just like, I, sh- I shut them up real quick. So like the whole evolution of me and Anthony was like, we kind of went down this path and different opportunities and we kept on learning and developing our strategy. We're like, we, before, we, when we started doing this, we didn't understand the, the, the biggest part of like seller financing. So we were asking like 50% down just so we can close out the property and the owner finance the rest. Then we found out the note side of it where we're like, hey, there's actually note buyers that actually buy this note. So I don't necessarily need that much down. And that's where we're kind of filling in all the gaps. And that's where we're kind of taking this to the next level. So as we're going down this path, the, the bank thing is maybe the next step, but I don't know exactly where we're heading. But a lot of it is just um, we're combining a lot of strategies that are out there. And like a lot of people, like for me, I have no intention of holding multifamily or doors or anything like that, because now that I know what I know, I, I can cash flow more property and leverage more debt just on the note side. And I have no tenants, vacancies, repairs, um, all that stuff. And my, my only fee is the management of the note, which is 20 bucks a month. So I'm like, okay, wow. What am I going to do? Well, which is, which is a good next question. So if you had a billion dollars in the bank and you, I'm sure you will in no time with what you're doing and a hundred lifetimes of cash flow, like how would you structure your life? Like how would you define your, your freedom? Um, it's it, me and Anthony has never been about the money. Um, it was, it was always about um, creating, a, creating a legacy. And you really can't like put a price on that or what that looks like because you don't really know. Like I'll never see what the legacy I create right now. But even after I die, I'll never know the impact. Who knows? As long as I know, I'll probably still be producing content, talking some shit somewhere. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I probably won't be in the U.S. anymore. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Dude, I love it. I love it. Um, absolutely fantastic stuff, Daniel. Um, this has been a tremendous, tremendous episode. Love everything that you shared. Um, so to those of you listening, go check out the Hive Mind CRM. We'll have that in the show notes for you. And check out the podcast. This guy has been crushing it for um, somewhere months. between 12 and 18 months. Um, <laughs> so 250 episodes, something like that. You guys are doing awesome stuff. You got the Facebook group too. We'll have all that stuff in the notes for anybody listening. Um, Daniel, this has been tremendous, man. Thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your life and into your business. And to those of you out there chasing freedom, freedom is accomplished one action at a time. So go commit to taking some action. Find a friend to do it with you so that you guys can grow together. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. So thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you in the next one.